0: Hello and welcome again to this episode of the LSU Professional Sales Institute podcast. My name is Greg Accardo and I am your host. My day job is serving as director of the LSU Professional Sales Institute. We're coming to you today, as always, from the E.J. Orso College of Business right here on the campus of Louisiana State University. We first want to thank all of our corporate partners who make our work here possible. They are United Rentals, BXS Insurance, your risk and insurance professionals for your team, CMA Technology Solutions, Orso Insurance and Financial Services, and Insight Global. Our guest today is going to be Dr. Adam Rapp. So, add Dr. Rapp if the director of the Shea Sales Center at Ohio University. Uh, Adam has been around this uh, industry for quite a while now. He's one of the one of you consider him a thought leader. Um, Adam does a lot of consulting. He's got his ear to the ground with industry. Um, in addition to, he's he's got a great track record for helping to build academic sales programs at several different universities. So help me and welcome Dr. Adam Rapp. So I'm happy to have today a guide that I've been hearing about for seven years now since I've been a director of the LSU Sales Institute, uh, Dr. Adam Rapp. Um, Adam is the executive director of the Ralph and, and Susie Shea Professional Sales Center at Ohio University. Is that right, Adam? Yeah, it's the Ralph and Lucy Shea Sales Center. Yep. Okay, so um, and so Adam is, is one of those guys that's been around for a while, and, and when you go to anywhere or any university and talk about sales education, his name's going to come up, so I'm happy to have him here today to participate in our podcast, and, and Adam, what i like to start off is just, you know, have you describe yourself, talk about where did Adam Rapp come from, and, uh-huh. and, 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 and what was the path that you took
1: that led you to university sales education and sales research? Sure. Well, hey, Greg. First of all, thanks for having me on. It's great to be here today. Um, so my path, I think, like a lot of academics, you know, and sales folks, is a little unorthodox, and you know, never had any intention at all to be where I am today. Um, you know, went to college. Uh, you know, started out in college in, in engineering actually, and I did two years in engineering, and you know, was doing well in my courses, and I loved math and and analytics and science, and and I just I loved that part of it, but I found myself. The, the, the creativity, the ability to kind of think freely and do stuff, you're really locked in in engineering. And so one day I woke up and I just said, you know what, I don't want to be an engineer. And so I was undecided in college and I floated around for a little bit. And then all of a sudden they said, you got to declare a major. So in my infinite wisdom, I said, you know what, I'm going to be an attorney, go to law school and went political science and graduated from college and said, you know what, I don't want to do that. So I worked for a few years, got a job at a nonprofit, and worked out in Indianapolis, originally from Pennsylvania, worked in Indianapolis. And I had a chance to see a lot of different sides of business and organizations. And I worked with a, you know, nonprofit board of directors with some high level folks in business. And, and they said, hey, you really need to get an MBA. You really need to get this business degree in education because I had too many gaps in my knowledge. So went to Villanova, got my MBA, and then I started a market research firm. And I worked in market research because I liked marketing. I liked the analytics, the data analysis, the research component. And then one day they said, Hey, Adam, we want you to go on a sales call. And so being a young guy at the time, I was like, Hey, it's a great chance to get out of the office, you know, get out of the cubicles and and go on a sales visit. And it was outside of Philadelphia. So I was taking the train into Philadelphia for the sales call. And I quickly realized that I knew nothing about sales And this would have been 2000, 2001. And so I knew that, that, people like to talk about themselves the most. That was one Mm -hmm. thing that I did know, you know, because I couldn't Google anything because the internet really wasn't a thing yet. And so on the train ride, I wrote out a bunch of questions to ask this woman that I was going to meet with. And when I got there, I sat down and, you know, I I asked her, she was a TV station manager for a Fox News affiliate. And so I asked her a series of questions about, you know, her goals, her budget, what she wanted to accomplish, all these different things. And and honestly, I was just just trying to fill airtime right? I just trying to understand. And so when we got done, I said, Hey, you know, I'm going to take this back to the office, get a proposal for you. And she asked me and I'll never forget, Greg, she said, "You no, aren't you going to give me the hard sell? And honestly, if I knew what that was, I probably would have tried to do that, but I didn't even know what she meant by that. And so I told her, I said, well, I, I can't do that until I really pull this together and understand what you need and, and what we can provide. And she said to me, and this is kind of where my life changed. She said, It's so refreshing to hear about a salesperson who really cares about my needs. And that has stuck with me for the past 20 some years, because when I got back to the office and I talked to the sales team, they said, they said, you know what? A lot of salespeople just don't care about their customers. They just try to make a sale and move on. And they said, if you truly care and you want to help people, it's the most rewarding job out there. And from there, I never looked back. You know, I was in, I, I moved to the sales side of the shop. The company was then bought out so i made some decisions on what to do and since i liked like the research component i decided to move forward with a phd in marketing and i was fortunate i got hooked up with mike ahern at the university of connecticut um started working with him there in the sales space working with companies teaching the courses he moved to houston so then i followed him to houston I had a chance to work with with some folks down there like steve brown and eli jones and and their wonderful program and then from i just i just you know, never looked back and kept working in the sales space and moved to some different universities and, you know, I've had some success.
0: You know, you and I have a similar professional background. You know, my undergrad is also political science and I was going to go to law school and uh, got offered a job and I graduated in sales, insurance sales, and uh, took a different route, but I ended up later going and getting an MBA so, uh, yeah, we're similar routes. I just didn't go to the next level and do the PhD program. <laughs> so, so tell me about the Shea sales center. Um, sure. give me a little bit. Could you t- tell us about when it started? How long has it been in existence? Uh, you know, what's going on
1: great there today? So the, the center here was started back in 97. So if you go back to, to the, you know, the, some of the original programs, the Shea was founded in 97 and it was one of the, you know, one of the first ones out there along with Baylor and a few of the other schools. Um, the integral in founding the the sales center alliance and some of the programming and really pushing sales forward at the time it wasn't called the shea it was just the sales center Um, you know and it was as the history goes there was a group of alumni some donors a couple faculty members and a group of six students that that said hey we want to do this we want to you know get this thing off the ground and get it started and so then they they started and it it slowly grew Um, in 2005 2006 uh, Ralph Shea came in and made the gift, right? And so Ralph and Lucy Shea made the gift that, to name the program and, and really put some of the different pieces in place to get an executive director and get somebody assigned to the program, get some support staff, et cetera. And, you know, the program's been successful. It, it grew quite a bit, it, you know, uh, won sales competitions, research, all these different things. And then I came in, geez, would have been 2015 is when I came into the program. Um, and when I came in, um, you know, I was fortunate, Greg, because I'd worked at, with, with Ahern at Connecticut, Eli Jones at Houston. You know, I started a program at Clemson. I worked in the Alabama program with Lenita Davis and Joe Calamusa. So when I came here, you know, I've worked at five or six different programs. So when I came into the Shea, you know, incredibly strong brand name, had been around for, for a long time, and I was able to kind of cherry pick some of the best things from the programs I'd been a part of and implement them here. And so with that fresh perspective, you know, we were able to go from a 150 person program to about a 600 person program, you know, selective in nature. So we operated about a 28 percent selection rate from from students across the university to apply. You know, we grew our partner size to match the student growth. So, you know, 46 corporate partners. And it's nice because that revenue and those companies and those relationships have given us the opportunity to do a lot of great things. And yes. so we're, we're always trying to push the envelope on what's new, what's next, and, and what are students interested in, because it is, you know, primarily student run and driven with our leadership team. So really kind of offering what they're looking for. How many students do you have that are part of the center? So we have about 600 total. So we take okay. about 100 students each semester. Um, mm-hmm. We get about 200, and then we graduate some, there's some attrition, et cetera. So we hover around 600.
0: So LSU. In comparison, in the College of Business, we have 791 marketing majors. That's Mm -hmm. seniors all the way down to freshmen have declared. Uh, But you have to be a marketing major to be in our sales institute to declare for the professional sales concentration. And that number usually runs about 180,
1: 190. So how does that compare? Yeah, so we're different in the sense we're Mm university-wide. So you can come from any major across the university. Um, to, to be a part of the program. So 70% of our program comes from the College of Business, whereas 30%, so you know, 180-ish students, come from outside of the College of Business. So you know, we have a big draw from the College of Communications, from the Russ School of Engineering, um, and then across all the different majors in the College of Business. And it's nice because, A, it gives us diversity of thought, which is wonderful because really different perspectives on what sales is, what it means. And it also allows us to bring in a lot of different corporate sponsors. So we bring in some engineering firms, some traditional, you know, sales firms kind of across the board that are recruiting. So our career fair, like that we're hosting tonight, we have a really nice breadth of companies that are going to be representing different products, services, areas of industry. So it's actually, it's really fun. It keeps it kind of lively.
0: So let's let's shift gears for a minute and and let's talk about industry. So you're considered a thought leader. I know you do some consulting also, uh, in addition to teaching and research. Um, talk about the changes and disruptions that you're seeing today, and what do you
1: anticipate in the near future for sales? Oh, okay. So this is this is a this is a heavy question, right? Because I think that there's there's a lot of different aspects to take this. You know, you can talk technology, you can talk virtual, you can talk generations. There's a lot of different things that are changing in that business landscape. You know, for me, I think the big thing is, I'm, I'm going to say two things. I think that on the customer side, right, service expectations, sales expectations are increasing dramatically, because I think customers have access to more information. You know, they they they're able to research more competition, and so, you know, that that expectation of service and delivery and the experience is really increasing dramatically. So I think on the sales side of things, we have to continuously get better, right, to satisfy those customers. I think the other piece and something that I've always been interested in is kind of these generational shifts, because we look at, you know, we look at industry and we look at people working in some of these leadership roles as boomers or Xers. We had the millennials and now, you know, the folks we're teaching in college, these Gen Z, I mean, what they're bringing to the table and their, you know, the way they engage companies, engage people in relationships is really dramatically different. So I think we're seeing some big generational demographic shifts are kind of impacting business and will for the next 20 plus years.
0: What do you think all this is going to mean for university level sales education?
1: Well, I think it's tremendous. Right? I think it's tremendous because in my opinion, we're slowly getting away from some of the negative sales stereotypes. Like sales has always been a four letter word. And you know, this operating in there, you say sales and people turn their nose up or roll their eyes. And now, you know, we're getting more and more students that are excited about it. They're looking forward to the opportunity to, to work with people and engage people. So I think on the university side, it's, I think it's a tremendous thing because I think we're going to see more students gravitating towards it. And I think we're seeing more companies slowly start to realize that, you know, these sales programs and universities are a great place to recruit some of this, you know, young sales talent.
0: And then when you look at industry too, you know, we've got a lot of stuff going, you know, still face-to-face, but there's still a great deal of virtual, you know, I think, uh, you know, will we ever go back to what it was pre-COVID pandemic? Uh, I don't know. But when you take a look at that from an overview, I mean, what's the landscape look like, the hiring landscape for sales graduates and the skills that they need to succeed? So
1: this is an interesting, you know, kind of, perspective because i think with with covid and with the move to virtual everybody quickly thought the new normal right and everybody's going to be virtual and i think a lot of companies you know organizations customers even universities realized you know what we're not really equipped to do that we kind of thought we were but you know as soon as we could get back face to face i know a lot of the corporate partners and the companies i work with said hey we couldn't wait to get back in the office because yeah, we have a Zoom meeting and everything, but you know what, that's still not the ideal situation. Maybe years down the line, but the companies weren't quite prepared for it. And honestly, the customers weren't ready to to receive all of this virtual interaction either, right? So we've we've started to shift back and I think we're gonna see more of the face-to-face too as we move forward. I think as a young person entering in this space, there's an opportunity to have a huge competitive advantage. Because the way it, you know, at least the way it was here, we went virtual for the past year, essentially, Mm -hmm. you know, you know, is honestly almost 18 months now. When we interview the sales students and people to get in the program, we've noticed this, there's a little bit of a developmental gap, if you will, in the sense that people were home, like the freshmen that came in this past year, they spent a year, maybe, maybe not going to high school, maybe, maybe not having the events, the involvement, all of these activities. freshmen that were on campus they did a year virtual in their parents basement or their bedrooms so all those experiences if you think back on it greg you think about that first year of college and everything that happens to you the organizations you joined the you know the the interactions in the classroom meeting professors companies career fairs all of those things they just didn't exist in a lot of places around the country so now the folks that we're talking to that are sophomores or juniors they kind of have that year which to some extent didn't really exist for them from a developmental standpoint. So they're a little bit, in my opinion, they're a little bit further behind on some of the professionalism, some of the business acumen, right? And so from the hiring standpoint, they're playing catch up. The good news is, and the reason I bring it up, is that if I'm a young person today, I realize there's a huge opportunity for me to kind of leapfrog this, this, this whole year, this whole sophomore class or, or freshman class, because if I can get up to speed a little bit more quickly, get involved in these professional organizations, then I have a chance to get a competitive advantage and get some of these jobs or internships that maybe I wasn't quite prepared for before, but I can beat out the competition. Yeah.
0: And, and, you know, just to touch base again on the, on the, the virtual selling industry. Okay. Mm. Uh, And, in. There's a lot of research, I think, that's kind of in the kind of in the process of maybe capturing some data because it's fairly new, right? We've been doing this for a year, but but you know, one of the biggest challenges that we've seen from our end, you know, when everything went virtual was is is the sales management piece. Yeah. You know? How these managers really struggled on how do they effectively manage their people when they're somewhere else and they're having to communicate in a two-dimensional yeah. environment. And nobody's really, I don't think, has figured that out yet where it, it's they, 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 they know what to do because they don't.
1: Still, they still don't know what they don't know. Uh, can you share some insights on that? Sure, absolutely. You know, it's fascinating, right, because you think about it. A lot of these sales organizations, sales folks are working remotely. So when we went virtual, it's interesting because initially I thought, okay, this isn't going to be a big deal. Because you know what? These sales folks are working out in the field. They're not reporting into the office or they're working autonomously. It's no big deal. Realistically, we made that switch to virtual. All of a sudden, you know what? There were a lot of challenges because I think as salespeople, even though we're operating remotely, we were still having those face-to-face customer meetings. We still had those schedules that we had to adhere to. And now when things went virtual, all of a sudden that whole scheduling, planning piece, you know, time and territory management, that kind of got threw up in the air and, and hit with a baseball bat. And people were like, what the heck do I do now? And from the management side, all of a sudden it became more difficult. Like, you know, call tracking and pipeline management. It's like, okay, what does this really mean that you had a virtual call with somebody? Is that the same as a face-to-face? Is it still moving down the pipeline? And so, you know, managers had some of those big challenges. The biggest challenge was with the from what I saw was with the new hires. The traditional onboarding process, where even though they might be remote, right, at some point in the future, they would still come in the office for six months or 12 months and they'd do onboarding, they would do the cold calling, the company knowledge, you know, the experience, all of these different components. A lot of that switched to virtual as well. And that's where one of the big challenges came in. Because where do you learn the company culture? Where do you meet the people, build the relationships? It's Well, it's in the office, those first few months, kind of understanding how things work. When you're sitting at home in your apartment bedroom and you do the onboarding that way, are you really getting ingrained in the culture? Do You really understand what the organization is truly about and truly means. And so then we saw a lot of the folks that just, they weren't as engaged because they didn't have those experiences. And sales managers were asking me, what do I do, Adam? Like, how do I build this? And so a lot of the conversations stemmed around, okay, what can we do in a virtual environment to to get these folks engaged to really understand what we do? And that's honestly something that that I struggled with with my team. And then trying to coach these managers up, that's the big, you know, if you will, that, that black box on how do we really engage and bring people into the team and understand our culture in a virtual environment. I think that's the real big challenge, Greg.
0: So did you find that a lot of companies or organizations were were on the hunt for that perfect magical technology tool that could take the place of that in person? I mean, look at all the different technologies that were born in the last year, Uh, AI enabled, you know, you look at all the things that were all built around managing and coaching and in a virtual environment.
1: Yep. Absolutely. Right. We did, you know, we did some trainings here and work with a couple of companies. So we were using some engagement tools with, you know, on Zoom and polls and word clouds and Kahoot, some different things to get people engaged. And after every training, every session, people were like, How do I do this? How can I use this to get my people engaged? How you know you're right. They wanted that secret sauce. They wanted that recipe. And you know, towards the end, people were getting hungry for like, what in the heck can I do differently? Because I know that I'm just not getting my people engaged. And I know that I'm probably gonna start to lose them. So you know I know a lot of those companies started to pull people back in the office, maybe a little bit sooner than they expected to, to try to get that level of engagement. But but you're right. I mean, the technology out there just interrupted to try to figure out how to solve this problem. And I don't think we're there yet.
0: And I'm wondering too, you know, look, look, we're very technology friendly in our program. We we use, you know, artificial intelligence and CRM video, where we're teaching our students how to use these tools, right? That but I'm wondering if if these, these companies who are so eager to go find that secret technology that could help them have just gone out and latched on to different tools to add into their workflow, but then just complicated their processes and confused people even more.
1: Absolutely. Right. If you go back to, it reminds me of, if, if you remember, and I'm sure you do, right, you think about the original adoption of, of Salesforce automation technologies back in the you know late 90s, early 2000s. And, People were talking about SFA and CRM interchangeably and, and companies were just running out to, to you know, purchase the next automation software. And you had all these companies popping up, right? All these you know, independent companies were creating this you know, uh, proprietary technology and, and the Siebel systems and Daivari's of the world. And companies were just clamoring to get this in the shops. And they did. And salespeople were like, what the heck is this? you know, and, and then there was all the challenges of getting salespeople to upload the data and use the technology and actually engage with it. And, you know, I I feel like 20 years have passed since then, but I felt like it was the same thing. Everybody was running out there, honestly, including universities, right? Trying to figure out, okay, what, what tools are we going to buy? What are we going to give to our faculty? And it's just like, nobody really understood it. It was thrown at them, thrown at us. And then we're like, okay, what's, a lot of people are like, "What's the minimal functionality I can use on this thing to to still engage with it, but really not to get the full effect?" Because I don't know if it's going to stay around or not. So it's definitely some challenges there as well. I think you can look at Nancy Naren's
0: uh, technology landscape map, right, for sales technology, and and that that thing is getting very cluttered.
1: Yeah. Okay, there, there's no shortage of tools. Yep. For sure. Yeah. And, you know, if you take the broader marketing perspective as well, you start looking at some of the digital stuff, the digital landscape as well, which, you know, and I, I know Howard Dover talks about this a lot, right, with the social selling and getting into the selling piece. I mean, that's starting to to clutter that up as well. And so now all of a sudden there's a there's a lot of different things that are coming at us pretty quickly. So well,
0: with all that being said, uh, what would be some advice that you would have for an undergraduate who is thinking about uh, joining a sales program and maybe considering a, a career in professional sales?
1: So my advice would be: the first thing is get good at the sales process itself, right? In a face-to-face environment. We might be transitioning to digital and, and you know, you might be in a world where you're using Zoom in a few years or you know, even when you start your job. But at the end of the day, the sales process, sure, it's tweaked a little bit virtually. But it's still the sales process. It's still doing the research, making the connection, building rapport, asking questions meaningfully in a strategic manner, you know, listening to what the prospect or customer has to say, delivering strong value propositions that match their needs, and then making a recommendation to move forward and, you know, closing and overcoming objections. I mean, so from that standpoint, that hasn't changed. Now, maybe it's sped up, maybe it's slowed down virtually, right? Maybe the way we read nonverbals virtually is a little bit different than face-to-face. But at the end of the day, I tell all my students, number one, get good at the sales process. Once you do that, you can adapt it to the environment. It's just like if you walk in a room with one person or five people, you're going to change and adapt the way that you engage them. But that process is still pretty much the same. So I tell my students, you know, you start at fundamental level learn the process the best you can. And just like our core structures, when you get into the more advanced classes, then you start to dive into some of these technology components and say, okay, how can social selling, you know, how can LinkedIn, how can these digital components, how can it help fill my funnel? How can it, you know, really kind of expedite my sales process, help my conversion rate? Then you start to bring some of those tools in. So that's what I tell my students is is learn the basics first, master the fundamentals, and then start to layer on top of that.
0: You know, you, we have, a you know, our partners are basically echo that too, is that, you know, they want to hire students, they want to hire a business graduate with some sales skills, okay, mm-hmm. they'll teach them the rest of it. Yeah, but they want them to come in to their shop with some basic knowledge on just how, how, how to start a sales process. Okay, how to how to prospect, uh, how to use some of these tools, where do they fit into the workflow as part of a sales process? And that's all. They don't want them to be experts because they're going to teach them the subject matter expertise and the product or the service, uh, learn a little bit about the customers. But more importantly, I think they really need to be curious. Yeah. If we can send them in the workforce with that hunger to always try to learn more, to be curious about their customers, be curious about their customers' customers. I think that's one of the biggest advantages we can give them when they come through
1: the program. I agree tenfold, right? Yep. We do the same, same thing here is, you know, our program is pretty much agnostic to technology. We expose them to it, mm-hmm. but we're not teaching one single platform because depending on where you go, that firm may use something else. But the important thing is you understand that technology matters. You know how to engage it. And to your mm-hmm. point, continuous learning. Once you get there, then you figure it out and apply it to your position.
0: So I want to shift now and talk a little bit about about sales research. Um, So you've been around in this space for a little while, okay? You've probably seen a lot of changes over the years. And so talk about that progression when you first were in, in your PhD program and where the research focus was, and where do you see it now
1: and into the future? You know, it's interesting because I've been, so I started researching, I guess, in 02. So it's been about 20 years um and you know it's it's cycles man it's just like I I look at it like clothing right you know if you keep if you keep clothing long enough it becomes the new trend again you know and and that's where I am in my life is the stuff that I wore 20 years ago all of a sudden it's my daughter's like wow it's so hip dad and I'm like I got it 20 years ago so it just comes back around and I think research is similar because I started off Researching like technology was an area that I was incredibly interested in, the Salesforce automation, CRM softwares, how technology influenced salespeople' ability to do their job. Um, and then you know the CRM, the SFA, that, that kind of died out. And then all of a sudden, social media came around. And I got very actively involved in you know, researching social media and how it impacts the sales funnel, salespeople processes, customer expectations. And it was the same question, but different technologies. And now we're seeing very similar questions emerging on the front of AI. How is AI impacting business? How is it impacting salespeople? And it's the same conversations, Greg. You remember when the internet came out and it's, they said the internet's going to be the death of the salesperson, right? You yep. won't need salespeople anymore. But guess what? We, we survived it. And I'm hearing the exact same thing today. It's like, well, with AI out there and these incredible recommendation agents and everything, we're not going to need salespeople. And I'm like, you know what? We've been down this road before. So I think it cycles. You, you look on the research front, you know, I think technology is is something that's, you know, if you're researching and you're interested in it, it's a great place to be because that technology is going to continue to evolve. And you can ask those same questions again and again with new technology to see how it's impacting salesperson performance and the outcomes. Yeah. And, I, and, and also some of these technology
0: tools were well, all of them for that matter. They're they're in the end that they're creating more data points so if if you know obviously data is important for research, so maybe one of the one of the positive effects of all these new technology tools is is creating these new fields of data sets yeah. that so can for use for
1: modeling and for research. Yeah, and I think that's the second point, right? is, is to that is it's the sales analytics, right? It's you know we we've, we've, we've dabbled in there. We spent time in, you know in the sales modeling with key account management, really you know, analyzing our customers. But now, with more and more of this data coming in, and to some extent, big data managing these data sets and understanding okay, how can we really now model and map performance you know, behaviors, customer engagement tools, and to see okay, what's really effective, and then how do we put more of those things into place? So, I think ideally with the analytics, hopefully, our sales force can become more efficient, more effective. Have more meaningful conversations, which obviously impacts business, but hopefully makes our customers happy too because we're not we're not wasting their time.
0: Yeah, we're finding a lot of companies that are are generating these big data deposits, right? And 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 they're they're just sitting on the data. They don't know they don't know what to do with it.
1: Yeah.
0: And you yeah. ask them, well, what are you guys doing with this data? Well, we're just warehousing it. <laughs> we we don't know what to do with it. So for, for someone who's in, you know, you know academia and research, it's like, you know, their mouth starts watering.
1: <laughs> okay. Yeah. So. And that's, that's always the big disconnect, you know, is like companies have these massive data sets. There's research out there who don't have data and it's like just merging these folks together and say, yeah. Hey, you know what? I can help with that. Like, mm-hmm. let's have a conversation. Let's look, let's look at it. Let's dig into it. And that's, I think that's one of the big disconnects Craig, that has been there for, for decades And it's like, if just, if these two parties would would talk a little bit more to it, and and Mike Ahern, with his his thought leadership conference, he did a nice job bringing some of these academics into the practitioner world and vice versa, and really built some great connections there that, that I know a lot of folks on both sides took advantage of. So I'd love to see more of that. Yeah. Well, just to wrap us up here, Adam,
0: I wanted to just, last question is, it's all about sales education and research. So Where does the future go for us, you and I, and people like us who are at the front line here with undergraduate, graduate education, where do you see the future for
1: sales education and research? I think it's incredibly bright. I I really do, because I think more companies are moving our direction and and finding out about sales programs. Um, I think students are gravitating towards it because of the company access, the things we're teaching, the job placement rates, things of that nature. And I think that universities on the whole are becoming more accepted, right? You know, we were always criticized about being vocational and and training and more focused on job placement and skills rather than theory. But you know what, with with the way that the world's moving and the idea of ACS accreditation and things they're looking for, all of a sudden now sales programs are kind of on the, you know, they're in the front and center in the sense of like, we're providing some of these skills. So I think the future looks really good for us. And I would expect to see more programs, more sales education and research. And I would expect to see some of these universities to move to from just a sales, you know, major sales center, whatever it is the university offers to kind of a a grander and larger offering for their students, because we know how many people are taking these sales jobs. So I think they're going to start to quit more and more students, which which is great for guys like us. Well, you know, just,
0: you know, in, in looking back, you know, the seven years that that I've been doing this, I think when I came on board, the Sales Education Foundation was reporting there were about sixty universities in the country that had recognized sales curriculum. Today, that number I think is almost one seventy. Yeah. And not only that, you got some European growth that's going on also in the European universities.
1: Yep. Yeah. We just started offering an international exchange type program where we work with Vlerick uh, Business School in Belgium. And we're doing a university of patient Hungary and international role play experience because they're offering sales courses. And so we're partnering our students with theirs. And it's just, it's tremendous because all the students want the international exposure. It's like, what a great chance for, for students to talk to each other about their interest in sales with this international perspective. So, yeah.
0: It's all good stuff. Well, Adam, look, I really appreciate you taking the time today. I know you're a busy man. You got, you got a big program there. You, you got some, you got some great students. Uh, but taking a few minutes just to share some thoughts with us for our podcast, and uh, we really appreciate. It. Hoping we can pay you back one day in
1: kind. <laughs> hey, thanks, Greg. I really enjoyed it. I, I appreciate your time today.
0: Great, thank you. Thanks. Thank you again for joining us. On uh, this episode of Talking Sales, uh, the LSU Professional Sales Institute podcast. If you would like to find out how you can recruit some outstanding sales talent from the LSU Professional Sales Institute, uh, there's a couple of ways that you can reach out. So first, I would recommend that you visit our website. It is lsu.edu forward slash business. Forward slash psi, or you can email me at gaccardo at lsu.edu. And another great way to communicate with me and to get a hold of me um, is on my LinkedIn page. I'm very active on LinkedIn, so I'm easy to find. It's Greg Accardo. Um, and I look forward to hearing from you. Uh, it's a really exciting time in sales, as we all know. Uh, virtual is is here to stay. Uh, maybe it may get diminished a little, but uh, guess what? Uh, virtual is going to be part of our new normal. So and we're teaching our students currently how to maximize this virtual environment. So, again, my name is Greg Accardo, and you can find me on LinkedIn or at geccardo.com at lsu.edu. Thank you.